What if I told you you can have fun at your next family get-together or on a game night? Take the taboo out of the fear about talking about death. And maybe it'll be the start of more important conversations. Next on this episode of the Executor Help Podcast, let's play the death deck. This is the Executor Help Podcast. Learn how to settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, go to davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Eady. So with me today on the Executor Help Podcast, uh, one of the creators of the death deck, Lisa Paul. Now, what I found with the death deck, I think is probably one of the best ways to get your family talking about the subject uh, uh, subject of death in a, in a fun way. And, you know, as much as I talk about in my book and on the show here, the importance of having conversations, this is probably one of the best ways and fun ways to do it. Lisa, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. So let's back it up. Tell me your backstory of how you and your co-creator, Lori, came up with the idea. I, from what I understand, it was a little bit, it came about because you were working with her and her husband? Yeah, so I was the hospice social worker for Lori's um, late husband, Joe. He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. About a year later, he and he came out of hospice and I was the social worker um, supporting her two young kids that were two and five and um and then I provide provided bereavement support afterwards so that's where Lori and I met okay stop you one second because I I had a, a hospice nurse in a show previous show and and I want to say the same thing to you before I forget what you do for people in, in this time you you truly are angels it's an amazing thing what you do you should be celebrated more for what you do for people and, and the the comfort and how you help them in, in such a difficult time that people really don't understand and have people such as yourself doing what you do is just a, it's an amazing thing. And you're our angels. Okay. I'm sorry. I, that was just my own thing. I blurted out. Continue on. Sorry. Well, David, I'm never going to stop anyone for appreciating the work that we do in hospice because um, it feels good to hear. And uh, you know, it is a passion of mine working in end of life care. I've been, uh, working in hospice for over 15 years and um, feel very fortunate to to work in this space in this um, vulnerable time with people who are willing to let us into their homes and into their families and help support them. Um, like you said, many people don't know what to expect as someone is declining and dying. And, um, and so we're able to help uh, provide the education and the support along the way. Okay, so I interrupted you. Sorry. Yes. So Lori and I met. So get back to the story. Sorry. That's the way we met, and then um, a couple of years after I stopped providing grief support for her, she reached out to me, um, and we developed a friendship from there. And um, during our friendship, we talked a lot about how unprepared Lori and her husband Joe were um, for his death, and how she wished that she had known about hospital sooner she wished that she had her and Joe had talked about all of the details um, with what he would want uh, with regards to his dying process as well as after his death and so we created the game that Lori wishes she could have played with Joe yeah so when she said she was prepared she thought she was prepared she did have some conversations with Joe but she realized she didn't have a lot of conversations were missing. Can you share a little bit, a few few of them, what she felt she was missing? 
Yeah, so Lori, Lori and Joe were more prepared than a lot of people in their 40s. Before starting a family, they had gone to an estate planner and they had a living will and trust. They had a, um, they had life insurance as well and an advanced directive. However, um, they had the attorney draw up all these documents, but they never talked about any of it. And it was a very abstract concept and it was just filed away. And then when Joe got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, similar to what many people experience, it became a, we're going to fight this. We're going to do everything we can to, um, to beat the ads. And, uh, and so there weren't, there wasn't a pause. There wasn't, there weren't conversations during that time about, okay, what happens if we don't beat this? What happens, you know, to use that language, right. what happens if, if things go um, worse than we hope they will. And so, so some of the ways that that came up was, um, which I witnessed as, because I was in the home while he was dying, you know, there was difference in opinion about the use of um, pain medication between his parents and Lori. And so there was also some differences in opinion opinion about how many who should be able to be there during that intimate time and then just just a lot of these nuances of her wishing she knew how to best care for him what he would want in these situations if he would want his kids on the bed with him if he would want more quiet if he would so all of the nuances of that um, as well as some of the bigger items about you know more specifics what he would want with his remains and uh some of those things for his service and all sorts of questions that if you don't talk about them, you, you just don't know. It's, it sounds like a lot where people say, well, I've got the will, I'm okay, so get it and forget it because I know it's there. But there's a lot more um, and there's a need to the conversations. I, I'd like to know, you know, you being that third person, not being a, a family member, do you see the dynamics change uh, you know what Lori was going through and she's you know there day to day and then some others like his parents or some other people coming in who don't really understand what's going on and they have their own thoughts of how things should go is that is that common where there's there's going to be could be some family discourse it's very common yes you know one of the questions in the death deck asks about you know would there be differences in how family members would handle your illness and the answer almost always is yes. Um, there are differences in in what, you know, there's differences in our relationships with people. There's differences in the location and proximity, how involved we are in someone's life. And I do see very often in hospice, there's usually one to two family members that are providing the majority of the care. And then there's additional family members that may be supporting and from far away, they may be helping financially, they may be a listening ear, but they're not in it day to day. And both parties can have their own opinion and and belief on how things should go. And both may have some truth in them, but they're they're very different frameworks to be operating from. So part of my role as the hospice social worker is to facilitate some of these family discussions. But some of it is, you know, emotions are so high when someone's dying that Again, it's these. This isn't the best time to work out family issues. It's usually 
the hardest time. Every everyone is so emotional, and our I don't want to say our worst selves come out, but um, yeah, you could say those... it because I've, I've been through it. Yes, it is the worst <laughs> self. But it, the, yeah, you, you being the you know the outside person, and and for what you do. You're seeing these family members, but the people that are in the family, they know that you know they expect a, a performance by Joe or or Betty yes. or somebody. They they know it's expected. So because you know that they're going to be that way, because they've always been that way, that probably raises the the height the uh, the height and the tension among everybody. And what could be said uh, is probably not you know what should be said. Um, I'm sure you've heard plenty of things. They're like, oh my, that people say to each other when uh, they're in this this situation. In the case that you're talking about, where there's family members who don't live locally and family members who do, um, in terms of medical decision making, that's you know one of the huge reasons to have that advanced directive and designate which person. Everyone hopes their family members are going to get along in these times, but we certainly can't count on that we should expect that there's going to be some arguments. And so um, to designate with careful consideration, who's the person who really understands what you want, and is going to put that above what they think, but rather, you know, that really understand um, what you would want um, in different medical situations, and then we'll go to bat for you and honor those wishes. It's, it's great to have the directives because it takes away some of the ambiguity of I don't really know what they want, but there's there's there is some path. And then there's the people who don't have any directive and it's just sort of up in the air and let's, you know, let's just wing it. Let's guess it. Guess um, you know, what should be the next. So you, you know, you've uh, witnessed countless families struggle with making, you know, the end of life decisions. It's an excruciating time. I because I've been through it. And, and it seems impossible to make choices on behalf of a loved one. Can you have you got a story that comes to mind uh, where you ended up hearing family members say the 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 ultimate we never talked about it? Yeah. So in addition to my work in hospice, I worked in emergency medicine for seven years. And so, you know, working in the ER as a social worker, I see a lot of uh, medical crises and sudden death. And so, um, you know, we would have quite a few um, patients come in with a cardiac arrest or a stroke. Physicians are immediately trying to get family at bedside and have conversations, right, about what does this person want, what's their wishes, especially if they're an older adult. Um, we're really trying to understand what the what the patient wants. I can picture countless scenes of that, but one in particular of a woman in her late her late 80s did not have an advanced directive and um and the family ended up horribly you know fighting and screaming over this poor woman's body we had to have security come and we had to help kind of de-escalate the situation and and, and at the end the hospital did everything because there was no agreement on what should be done. But, you know, that's an extreme case. What I see more often is just indecisiveness and people feeling really unsure of what to do in these situations. And once again, when we're unsure, we usually err on the side of doing everything. Research shows that most people, many people don't want everything done, but we just are afraid yeah. to, to say, um, to pause for a minute, you know. 
they sort of think, well, this is what I would want done when they're not really in the place of the, you know, the person lying there in that pain. Um, and maybe the person's ready to go. And mm -hmm. you as the individual making the decisions aren't ready to let them go. And then also yes. there's that conflict to go. Yeah. So why do you believe there's never any family conversations? Um, well, you know, David, I'm going to say I'm excited about how many podcasts and how much we're doing in this space right now. I feel like the last few years we've, we've been helping to get the word out to families that we need to have these conversations. But still, yes, may, most are not having them. <laughs> Overall, as a culture, we we deny death. We don't like to think about it. We avoid the topic. And I think a lot of that is because we don't have any practice doing it. It's usually until you've been in a situation where you're caregiving for someone that's um, seriously ill and, and dies or, you know, you have your own personal experience that people start to start to understand. And so, you know, one of the reasons we created the death deck was to help give people some practice at talking about death and dying because it's a skill like everything else. And, you know, if if you never talk about a topic, it feels uncomfortable to bring it up. Once you become more comfortable with it, if you walk around with a, a comfort level of having these type of conversations, it's it's actually much easier to engage other people in that. So um, so, I, so I think you, it's really a lack of practice. So are you advocating that everybody walk around with a death deck in their in their pocket, in their purse? Is oh, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You just take it to lunch with you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you know what? That kind of makes sense. The death deck, and I've got one right here. When I contact you, so I'm going to go out and get one because I thought it was such a great idea. So we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But the idea of it, I opened up the deck, got all these cards here. Uh, the idea, you and uh, and Lori, how long did it take you to come to the resolution that, hey, let's let's come up with a game? It's kind of like more important of a game to play than Crimes Against Humanity. So I played that. So it's along that we're going down that street, but we're taking a left turn and we're going the death route. But it's in a, in a fun way. And we're going to play, I'll play, ask you a couple of questions from cards. So how did you say, hey, this is what this is how we can help people and um, get, get conversations moving. So let's come up with this game. So how did that how do we get there? When we began talking about how unprepared Lori was, we started thinking about what we could do to create something so that other people were not as unprepared as her and Joe. So we came up with the idea of, of a, a deck of cards and then started looking at what was already out there. And, and we, we found um, Hello, which is a, a card game that is a, um, a conversation tool. It's open-ended and um, the questions are really beautiful. However, they are they take a lot to think about a little touchy feely, which right. works for a lot of people. Uh, but Lori, Lori and I both love to laugh and she comes from a comedy background as a writer. And so we said, you know what, how about we create a game where we, we put some humor in it and we try to make it more, make the topic of death more approachable. We also added the multiple choice um, element so people could have an easier time answering because it's, it's hard. It's were hard you, to. Um, were you were games. you both um, game players? You love play. You have game nights with your friends. 
Um, is it more board games? How, you know, how do we end up with cards? I, I am a game player. Um, I know Lori likes to as well with her family. Um, yeah, so we uh, just had a really fun game night with a, a couple of friends last week. And I can't get people to play the death deck every time because my friends, um, they've been, they've been testing it out with us for years now. <laughs> so, so we, so you know, I, we rotate, we play so, a little kind of cards against humanity and such. So, yeah. so when you, cause I could feel the eye roll from your friends when you were testing. So how did you, <laughs> when you were testing, how did you approach them and say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to play this game. Was it, um, did you have a couple of adult beverages where they're easy mm -hmm. to talk to. Let's open up a, a, a good Chardonnay and here's some glasses. Oh, by the way, I got this game about death. How did how did the vibe go in the room when you, you brought that up the first time? Oh, I, I like that you think we tricked them. Um, no, it's we... not true. Okay, please share your testing <laughs> process to get your willing participants. <laughs> it made me laugh. Okay, so we... Lori and I each So had... what you're saying is you did have a bottle of wine. Yes. Yes. Okay. That is okay. Correct. So, <laughs> so, so why do you had to make this so difficult, Lisa. Why? Um, at my uh Lori had a group of friends that um she reached out to and told we we told them straight up what, what we were doing and that we wanted their feedback and um if they were comfortable with the topic, we'd love for them to come. So we did you know, we we let people know to see if they would be open to it. And do you have any people we, say no? I, I really don't want to do that. It makes me I'm uncomfortable. We we had a couple decline, and we said okay, this is that's okay. But uh, in general, our friend groups have been and and families have been super supportive, of course. And the, it was really fun writing the questions. It was also fun getting the feedback and and um, helping us kind of tweak those a little bit. And once we had tested it, yeah, we we made it into production. So, so, so the the questions. How many questions, and how did you come up with the various questions based on what this is what you think should be asked? Did you ask professionals? How did you come up with the questions? There's 112 questions. 82 are multiple choice, and then the rest are open ended. Um, we came up with the questions through my professional experience and then Lori's um, personal experience as well. I consulted with a couple of my hospice nurse friends, but I've been working in hospice for quite a while. And we did, a, you know, some additional research. And, and then we did a lot of tweaking, trying to insert some humor, insert a little more humor, a labor of love for sure. So who did you create the game for? Uh, so we created the death deck to be for everyone. Um, we we say age 13 and up. However, my son started playing at 10. And I think any age is, is capable of playing it. It's just a matter of whether it will resonate with younger kids. And uh, we, we created it for everyday people people who um, are looking to start some conversations on death and dying. Uh, the people who've been using it a lot are death doulas, estate planners, hospice and palliative care, community educators. And and those professionals, what, what's been the feedback you've been getting from that? The feedback has been great. I mean, the feedback has, especially, um, we've gotten a lot of feedback recently that people are using it to start like advanced care planning workshops or to um, within conferences and as a way to yeah. get people engaged and, and talking and 
kind of primed to the topic of death and dying. I use it also with my, I have interns, uh, social work interns, and we use um, the death deck to, you know, continue to explore their own thoughts and feelings on death and dying while working in hospice. So, um, okay. So let's play the game. Have you got, um, we're doing this on Zoom. So have you got a, a deck in front of you? Do you happen to have one? Of course. Okay. So, so <laughs> we're going to play the game. Just tell me, we're just going to do a little quick, uh, you know, demonstration for people listening because people I still feel are going to be skeptical. I played it just myself and uh, my girlfriend. We uh, just started to go through, actually, she started going through the cards and started asking me questions and I would answer. And she's like, this is what I expect you to answer. So tell me what the rules are for the game. So there's a couple of ways to play. Um, you can partner up and try and guess each other's answers. Um, if you do that, like let's say you host a game night and you have several groups of couples, you each get a point when you correctly guess the other person's answer and you can keep track and there's actually a winner. So that's one way to play. The other way is to just, which, which I would say more often, people um, ask the question out loud in the group and, and people answer. Um, so you can, you can either keep score or you can just play it organically in conversation. Is at the end, it, did you design it for a, somebody to win or is it more just a conversation, keep the conversation going at a very boring dinner party? <laughs> I, I'll say that I haven't heard that many people sticking with the scoring once they get talking, because often the conversations just take off from the answers and then it becomes you know it's oh it's been 25 minutes it's time to let's ask another question because we got on a tangent yes it's designed to be played to keep score however it's we not just that important. Care, we just care that you're having the conversations that's the most important piece let's pretend that uh i'm one like one of your testers i've been tricked in we've got our bottle of wine on the table <laughs> and uh so you want me to ask you a question or you want to ask me a question? Sure. Sure what? Which way are we go? You can ask you can ask me one. Your spouse dies. Would you read their emails and journals? Is there answers? Oh, sorry. I forgot. <laughs> I put it down like it was on uh on family feud. Okay. Yes, I would read anything and everything. I would read their emails for practical reasons, but not their journals. No, I would respect their privacy and not read any of it. I would like to say C, but I am A. I'm too nosy. I'm going to read it. Girlfriend read that <laughs> to I've... me, and I said B, because I'm not nosy. And she said A, because she's nosy like you. Okay. <laughs> so I can see where we're going. All right. Okay. Right, you want to ask me a question? Sure. Okay. Which of the following top regrets of the dying most strongly resonates with you? I wish I had A, focused more on enjoying life and being happy. B, taken more risks and lived the life I wanted to live. Or C, spent less time working and more time with loved ones. Ooh, that's a good one because I think I've done. Um, what was B? So we have A, focused more on enjoying life and being happy. Right. B, taking more risks and live the life I wanted to live. Or C, spent less time working and more time with loved ones. Um, I've taken a lot of risks. I, I would go with B. Yes, that's what I, we've asked. each. So after after each question, then it, it 
opens up for more conversation or you get a right. or people just get a sense of hmm oh i didn't really know about that or does it end up having more follow-up questions well why why do you feel that way or and that's what we were is that what you were going for you and Lori? Yeah. Yeah. The idea is, you know, like the question about the emails, when, when I um, talked to my husband about that question and well, I asked him that question and we got into quite a dialogue about, oh, okay, so you are going to read my emails. Okay. So now I know you're reading my emails if I die. And then we launched into, you know, the ethics of what happens after someone dies with all of their stuff, you know, their written material and, right. and how do we feel about that? And um, so we went from your nosiness to, to the logic of why you need to read all the emails. Is that where we're at? Right. Right. Okay. And, and, and then a larger ethical conversation because that's where we went. So there's, there's a lot of layers to having these kind of conversations. I think in, in a, in a group setting often, um, it's a great way to learn more about each other. And I, and when we've played with other couples, you know, there's only so much that you talk about in your normal day-to-day life, both right. within relationships and friendships. And these are often topics that you just haven't really talked about. And there's some fun and intrigue of, of learning something new about somebody that you know really well. I see, but besides the, the, the questions, You've got like like different topics. You've got uh, good grief, and then there's a yeah, good grief says, "Who doesn't love a good eulogy?" Start yours today by sharing one piece of advice for those left behind. So, how does that come up? Um, what do you do? You would just say what you would like on your eulogy. Yeah. So the the yellow questions. Yellow cards, yeah. Um, yeah. Those are are open ended questions. So those usually require just a little more thought. So we did color code them. So that way, if you didn't want, if you wanted to kind of keep things moving quicker and not use the open-ended, you could, you could not for like a game night. Right. But um, the idea is, yes, these are the open-ended questions that just spur more conversation. Um, like, so this one here, I really like buckle list one, two, three. If you knew you die in a week and money was no object, what were the three bucket list items would you check off your list? Just became a grandfather, Penelope, also known as P-Baby. I would like to walk with her on the beach and uh, talk to her as much as I can and um, spend as much time with her. And then Susan can come after. But P-Baby first and Susan uh, walk on the beach with uh, her and then with my son. That's what I would do. And uh, enjoy each and every sunrise and sunset and uh, see everything new through P-Baby's eyes. That's what I like, bucket list. Um, Congratulations on being a grandpa. Thank you. Okay, I'll ask you one question. Self-help, regarding your inevitable future demise, in what area are you most prepared, least prepared? Oh, so I am most prepared in in the conversations uh, because of the death duck and all the conversations I've had with my family. I think they, they know very well what I want in different uh, situations and um, after I die. I am less prepared with a couple financial bank accounts and things that are weighing on me. So a few financial things that I know if something happens to me now, maybe my family is going to not know where, the, where that account is or, the, you know, combining right. IRAs, that kind of thing. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. 
kind of nagging on me. So okay. that's that's my answer. You're How about you, David? I wrote a book on it, so um, I, I just <laughs> you have gotta to, be fair. I, I go, what? Sorry, <laughs> I have to. Uh, I um, it, my will needs to be updated because now there's P baby, so I've got to uh, uh, yeah make an allowance for her now and um, another conversation with my executor. But they understand that I want to make sure that P baby is going to be taken care of, help her to uh, you know a trust for her and that sort of thing. So. That's where I feel I'm least prepared right now. It, the next generation for uh, for I keep calling her P baby for Penny <laughs> for P baby's uh, her future. Um, yeah, that's where I think I'm at right now. So, um, how many times have you played the game, and how do you suggest people say? Okay, in our house we played it just the two of us. Um, when we have uh, family and friends over, we say, hey, we're going to play. Um, crimes against humanity but tonight we're not going to play that we're going to play the death deck is that going to take the air out of the the room and it's like well, what the heck is that oh i don't want how do, how do you usually or is it be difficult because they already know that you have the game how do people how do you suggest people you know bring up the subject of, hey we're going to play this game talking about death you know i think there's, there's a couple ways one we really recommend that you that you stack the deck so you you choose the questions that you think are going to be the best for your particular group of people right and so right. you kind of look through and you say okay these are the ones that probably would play well with this group and um and we and, and if you're hosting you can also start with kind of one of the easier questions or one of the questions that's a little more removed so you know there's questions about whether you you believe in mediums that communicate with the dead, right? Or right. there's questions about if, if you'd live in a house that someone was murdered in. So it starts out like a little removed from yourself, not about your own dying experience. And usually people can get into those questions first and they can start talking about some of these topics. How do you introduce, we're going to play, we're going to so play. Introducing. Game. Yeah. So um, what's that? So in that way, I, usually encourage people to say, you know, we're going to play, we're going to play a couple games tonight. And, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to start with, and maybe you do play cards against humanity for a half hour or something like that. And then you say, okay, and now, now we're going to play an, another game that <laughs> will get us talking. And, uh, wow. you know, that's quite the left turn from crimes against humanity. Hey, let's do the death deck. Okay. All right. All right. Your well, game night you know, sounds you gotta, interesting. You go gotta on. know your audience. You right. know, some people, I mean, I, I'll play this with my parents, um, some or at Thanksgiving. Um, you know, some some groups would just say, Oh, okay, yeah, let's play sure. this. And and others you have to kind of yeah, finesse and see. Finesse know, and put another we, bottle of wine on the table. That's right. That's right. Or, or you know what? Well, I was going to get into some more trickery. Uh, you put the death deck cards oh, so inside. The so what you what you so what you've just um, announced is you do do some trickery. So go ahead, please continue with your tricks. Oh, it's well, it's come now, out I'm, now. now I'm having a good time with it. I think we should. You know, you could put the death deck cards in the Cards Against Humanity box and uh, and just see what happens there. Oh, that's wow. real a little bait and switch. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. This is yeah. a new version of uh, 
a new version of uh, Crimes Against Humanity. Okay, I see what you do there. Okay. How many times have you, do you think you've played the game? And every time you play it, do you learn anything? Yeah, I mean, I, I've played this uh, hundreds of times. I do Instagram lives. I We've hosted a lot of game nights. I play with my friends and family. Right. Um, I would say most, some of my answers have changed based on life experiences and also um, hearing other people's responses. It inspired, you know, it makes right. me think about things differently. So my answers are actually changing hearing from other people. I mean, that's the, what I find so interesting as well is that not only are you, you having these really rich conversations about death and dying and what you, your thoughts and feelings are but you're also getting closer to the people you're playing the game with because these are real conversations and even if you're laughing you know like you and I have been today there's there's these rich real conversations that are taking place and that usually leaves us feeling more connected to each other and if those are the people that are going to be making decisions for you it's not only good to for them to have these conversations together but also that you feel connected and you have that that deep understanding of each other and each other's values so what after playing the game what do you hope people walk away from the experience that they learned something about themselves or Mm -hmm. they've been able to talk about this subject and, and and they didn't die at the end of playing the game yeah step one that they make it through the game. <laughs> you haven't had any um, mishaps that you've heard of. That we we have actually... not. Okay, okay, right. Good. Good it, is, it is not, yes. No one has died from playing the death like yet. Um, <laughs> I, I shouldn't say yet, right? Don't, don't. Uh, <laughs> what, what I hope that people get out of the game is one, learning about themselves and their own wishes um, for end of life and uh, secondly that they convey that information to uh, their decision makers or the people that are close to them. I hope that they feel more connected to people, connected to humankind, connected to each other, and that they then take some action, you know, whether that's doing the advanced directive or updating the advanced directive or saying, I'm finally going to get do that, get my will done that I've been putting off. You know, we, we do hope that by having these conversations, it, it inspires and reminds people of the importance of planning ahead. Wow, great. In our remaining moments, any final thoughts you want to talk about uh, the deck? Um, well, I just want to say we have an EOL deck that we just got in yesterday. This is what's it? What's it? What's it called? It's called the EOL deck. It's the end of life deck. So the one that you and I have been talking about and playing the death deck is our initial deck, our first deck, the one to be played by everybody. This EOL deck we designed um, specifically for people with serious illness and advanced age. So this is a slightly softer deck. Um, We have a koala bear instead of a skull. It's EOL instead of death. Um, This is meant to be used by hospice and palliative care professionals. 
people in senior centers. And it's 52 new questions exploring um, end-of-life preferences and wishes. So Why did it's you kind of the more delicate version of the death deck that's for people who are approaching the end. And why did you feel that you needed to go to this next level with, uh, you know, death and now end of life? You know, we we love calling it the death deck and saying the word death. I think it's um, really important um, for us to normalize language around death and dying. And also myself as a hospice social worker, uh, being communicating with people about their end of life wishes when they are approaching death is a different conversation, a different tone than it is when it's more abstract. So the death deck is meant to be played primarily when it's abstract. When you and I are, you know, talking about what we would want in right. these situations, it can be used if you're closer to the end, but there's, you just have to have the right sensibility and sense of humor and align with that. The, the EOL deck is, is the more sensitive version Right. Um, so that we ask the questions in, uh, with with the same casual tone, multiple choice, but just not as much of the um, snappy humor. Would, a, would a, an adult child who's looking after their parent know that there, there needs to be something done, but they don't want to be too intrusive? Parents might take it the wrong way. This could be an, another way to get the conversation starting. I say, let's absolutely play this game. Adult, adult children's caring, adult children caring for their um, parent. Absolutely, that that is who we have in mind for this for the EOL deck. And and that's well, it's going to be hard for the adult child because, as I said, they don't they don't want to push it on their parents, but there's they're afraid because we're talking about the, you know losing a parent, but they just don't know what to do. I, I guess that's what you're trying to hope is to help both parties make it easier on person going and then the individual who's going to be left behind. They just want to make sure that they don't leave it, uh, don't leave a stone unturned, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, so the um, family caregiver can absolutely, you know, use, use the deck and, and, you know, we kind of say, one one of the tools or ways that people have um, uh, talked about it is is blaming the deck. It's like, and and you can you can say whatever you like, but you know, someone told me about this, or uh, I got this, I, I got this deck of cards. Will you just take a look at it with me, Dad? Right. And then again, you you stack the deck. You look at the cards. You look at it and you you know you know your dad, and you try to think of what he might align with. Because usually what happens is once people start talking, they have a lot to say. I, I understand where you're coming from. There's a lot of feelings around if we talk about this, then I have to think about the fact that that you're going to go sometime, right? The other aspect is if you have any medical professionals working with you, that's, that's also who we're trying to... Um, get these decks in the hands of to give them some tools. I now have this in my hospice bag that I can utilize with patients that um, to, to get some, to basically ask them more questions about what their preferences are, what they want, what kind of music they want playing. Um, and again, there's something less intrusive about a card asking you than 
a person staring into your eyes and asking you exactly. with no prompt, right? Exactly. It's exactly. a little removed. It takes a little pressure off of that. And person. it helps the person reading the card to say exactly what needs to be said. And yeah. as opposed to be me fumbling and, oh, uh, I don't know how to get to, you know what, just, just read the prompt. This is what, uh, you know, it's coming in your voice, but it's, this is the exact same, the exact right thing that needs to be said at this time. And you're hoping for an outcome of learning something from this, uh, from the individual. And I really encourage people to answer for themselves too. You know, if you want, um, even if let's say, you know, this is a son asking his dad, you know, you are looking for dad's information because he is approaching the you know, the end of life, that doesn't mean that he's on the spot and he's the only one that has to be, you know, answering these questions. It can really help take the spotlight off if both of you answer the questions and say, oh, that's okay, dad, I wouldn't want that. You know, I'd be listening to Frank Sinatra instead or something. Um, And so it's more of a conversation instead of a Family, family feud. Uh, hurry up and answer. Yeah, exactly. Lisa Paul, first off, I'm going to say you're an angel for what you do. Let's start there. And then second, I'd like to thank you for being here and sharing. I think it's one of the great tools to help people that are families that are having the conversations. Um, uh, you and Lori should both be, uh, you, you should get a lot of flowers sent your way for what you're doing, helping <laughs> a lot of people. Where can people get the death deck and now the EOL deck? Well, thank you so much for having me, David. I really enjoyed our conversation. You can get the death deck and you can get the death deck at thedeathdeck.com and amazon.com. Our EOL deck is currently only on thedeathdeck.com. We're currently testing out our first round, getting some feedback, and then we'll, we'll do a mass order once we hear from you all about what, what works and doesn't, and then we'll get that on Amazon too so the deathdeck.com and amazon and you can follow us on all social media at the death deck once again lisa paul thanks for being here and uh maybe when um a little further down the road maybe we'll have you back and come and talk about the eol and let's uh oh that sounds great right thank you very much thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast please share it with others post about it on social media or by leaving a five-star rating and review on apple Podcasts. To catch up with all the latest from me, go to davideady.com. There you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.